You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Okay, it is good to see you today. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So if you want to go ahead and grab a Bible, if you need a Bible, underneath every two or three seats, you should be able to find one. So 1 Corinthians 7 is where you're going to want to be able to, uh, to go and have that out and open on your lap. And as you're turning there, let me just preface kind of where we're going today. Um, we are starting a new set of sermons called Issues today. And that's going to give us the chance over the next several, couple of months anyway, to talk about several things I've wanted to talk about, but the text that we have been in just haven't afforded us the opportunity. Um, so we're going to take that opportunity over the next couple of months. So we're going to talk about things like gluttony, what it means to personally know God, what it means to celebrate, as the Bible would call us to celebrate, things like divorce and remarriage, things like homosexuality. And today we're going to tackle the topic of singleness, of singleness. Now, let me give you a couple of reasons why I think it's imperative that we take some time to think about singleness. Here is reason number one. Singles are a growing subset of the U.S. population. So I don't know if you're aware of that, but that's a growing part of the population. Um, It's interesting to note that in 2014, for the first time in American history, there were actually more singles than married. It's kind of an interesting thing to note. Um, Another interesting kind of uh, fact about singleness is that the U.S. Census Bureau in 1956 chronicled that the average age at which a man was married for the first time was 22.5. In 1956, it's 22.5 for a man and 20.1 for a lady. That's the average kind of age that a person would, would get married, man or woman. Um, that, num- you know, that, that number steadily kind of rose and then in the 70s really began to skyrocket to where now, kind of in recent years, those numbers have reached the ages of 29 for men and 20, 26.6 for women. Now, we could talk a lot about the contributing factors and the nuances behind that, but, but the point that I'm trying to make is just to make us aware that this is a growing segment of our population in the United States. Therefore, here's what we need to think about. That is a growing population in the church of Jesus Christ in the U.S. So if we're going to minister effectively to our culture and our area, that means that we need to think about singles. Second reason. I think it's fair to say that the church has overall an underdeveloped theology of singleness. If I, you know, and we could just make sense of that this way. If I were to slide a piece of paper in front of you and on the top of that piece of paper said, hey, why don't you unpack the biblical vision for singleness, how the Bible and therefore God thinks about singleness. I am really confident that almost all of us would answer that question in ways and unpack that in ways that would be so far from the biblical depth and beauty and encouragement that the Bible gives singles. That there is, a, there is a, you know, an undercurrent of underdevelopment when it comes to the, the uh, theology of singleness in the church. It is not you know, uncommon for a single to feel like they are less than, second class, that they, because they're single, they just haven't reached the pinnacle of what life can and should be. That that is not uncommon. And it's not uncommon because the theology of singleness is so underdeveloped. Third reason, as a church, and I want you just to hear my heart in this, As a church, we want a culture that celebrates and cares for singles. We want that. We're praying for the Lord that we would be a church that could do that well. You know, not only do the singles oftentimes feel less than, 
but because a church, most churches, and I'm gonna put our church in this category, has an underdeveloped theology of singleness, we unintentionally do things that confirm that they're less than. They feel that, and it's not an intentional thing that we're overtly trying to do, but because there's a lack of sensitivity and a lack of, of development in the theology of what the Bible says about singleness, we oftentimes confirm and validate what they already feel about themselves. And so with that said, I just wanna take a moment to start this sermon out and say this to all of our single folks in the room. I wanna take the opportunity on behalf of our church and really me, I, I think our church has done things and I personally have done things as one of the pastors here that validate and confirm the feeling that you would oftentimes have that you are less than. And I wanna just have a moment where I apologize for that and say on behalf of our church, that I apologize for where, where we have been insensitive to you as a single, where we have done things that have made it more difficult for you as a single, where we have confirmed feelings that, that you have had, where we have done all of those things. I wanna take a moment to apologize for that. And one of my hopes uh, of this sermon this morning is that we could, we could kind of get our church going in the right direction in this area to where there would be a renewed sensitivity. There would be an ability in our church to celebrate and honor and value and give worth to singleness because God does, because God does. And so I, I'm praying that for our church. Let me say two things, then we'll get rolling. To our married people in the room, when I said, we're gonna, we're gonna spend a whole Sunday morning talking about singleness, I am assuming that for some married people that, that flipped a switch that said, I can check out, I'll see you next week. That would be a grave mistake. And let, hear me out on why. If we're ever going to be a church that values and honors and gives worth to singles like we should, it's going to require married people to think singleness through to catch the biblical vision for singleness and then to open up your lives to single people. That is the only way we will ever care for singles in the way that God is asking us to care for singles is for us to actually think it through, catch a vision, and then to have our lives wide open to single people. So this sermon has a lot to do with you if you're married. To our single uh, people in the room, men and women in the room, I am praying that today, the Bible, God, through, through the scriptures, would convince you of the unique blessings of single life. That God would convince you that he has unique blessings for you. I'm praying that we would have a chance to empathize with the, the unique burdens of singleness. And most importantly, I am praying that the Lord would put in front of you a vision for your singleness the unique calling of your singleness to show the things about God that because you are single, you can show that if you were married, you'd have a much more difficult time in showing. That God would put in front of you a vision for, man, I wanna use my singleness to show things about God and eternity that if I were married, I would have a much harder time showing. That God would, 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 would put that into you today. God would give you vision for that and hope for that today. So that's where I'm going. That's my hope for the morning. So we're gonna start with the theology of singleness. First Corinthians 7 is where we need to be for that. Theology of singleness. I wanna start in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 6. I wanna start just kind of reading through some of this chapter with you. Starting in verse six of 1 Corinthians seven, it says this. This is Paul writing a single man. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. 
Verse seven, I wish that all were as I myself am. He's single, but each has his own gift from God. One of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widow, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Now skip down to verse 32 in 1 Corinthians 7. Come down to verse 32. Paul picks it up and says this in verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or the betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly uh, toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever, verse 37, but whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desires under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, verse 38, so then he who marries his betrothed does well and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Okay, now in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is addressing a variety of issues in the Corinthian church. One of those issues he begins to address in 1 Corinthians 7 is the issue of singleness. Now, when you just read through the whole chapter, I would encourage you to do that. When you read through what we just read and the whole chapter, just on the surface, you are seeing that Paul is elevating singleness. He is holding up singleness and saying, this is not a second class life. This is not that. Singleness is a valued thing in the kingdom of God. He's saying that when God looks at singleness, he does not look at it as inferior to marriage. It is valued in the Bible. It's honored in the Bible. It's all of those things in the Bible. It is held up as something that is worthy in the Bible. If I were gonna try to summarize kind of the biblical um, view of marriage on one hand and singleness on the other, here's how I would talk about it. On one side, I would say this, marriage is ordinary. Now it's not ordinary in the sense that the Bible holds it up and says it is a great thing. So it's a special thing in the Bible. Yes, that's, I'm not saying it's ordinary in that it's not special. It is special. When I'm saying it's ordinary, I'm saying it is the Bible's expected sort of norm for most people. Okay, so it's ordinary in that sense. It's, it's the category that many people are going to find themselves in. It's, it's ordinary in that sense in the Bible. So if that's marriage, if marriage is ordinary in the Bible, here is the view of singleness. The view of singleness would be singleness is extraordinary. So marriage is ordinary, it's the expected norm, but far from then that meaning that singleness is like a subcategory or it's inferior or, or that it's a bad thing. It's not any of those. Far from all of that, Paul is holding up singleness and saying, it's actually better. It's actually, in in many ways, an advantage to a person. If marriage is ordinary, singleness is extraordinary. Now look at the ways that that Paul talks about it here. In 1 Corinthians 7, in verse 7, he says, I wish that all were as I myself am. Paul is saying, this is a good thing. I wish more people were like this. Verse 8, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. 
Paul's saying that singleness is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a great thing. Verse 28. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you of that. Paul's just saying, listen, marriage has its unique difficulties. It's going to divide your attention in some ways. There is a unique advantage to singleness. You get down to verse 38. So then he who marries his betrothed has done well. Marriage is a good thing. But... He goes on, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. See, I mean, in the Bible, you know, that marriage is lifted up as a wonderful thing. And because it's lifted up as a wonderful thing, here's what most people do. That must mean that singleness is a bad thing. That is not the way the Bible talks about it. Yes, it elevates marriage as a, as a good thing in the Bible. But at the same time, it says that, that singleness is a wonderful thing as well. In many ways, it is superior to marriage in that way. It has unique advantages to it. That the Bible looks at singleness not as a second-class category, not as an inferior category, but something that is exceptional, something that is extraordinary, something that when pursued for the right reasons is a wonderful thing, something that should be honored and celebrated and given worth to. That's how the Bible views it. And, you know, you can just see this play out in um, the Bible and the various people who were single. So let me just tease this out. Here, here's the Bible giving validity to the single life. Jesus, the hero of the Bible, is single. Paul and probably John, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, both single. John the Baptist, single. Barnabas, single. Timothy, single. Jeremiah, single. Elijah, single. Elisha, single. Daniel was single in the time that we know him in the Bible. Mary and Martha, single. Mary Magdalene, single. Lydia, who helped plant the church in Philippi, all single. It, the Bible gives great validity to the single life. When pursued for the right reasons and done in the right way, it is a wonderful thing. If marriage is ordinary in the Bible, the expected norm, singleness is not inferior, not a bad thing. It's an exceptional thing in the Bible. Okay, now with that background, I want to work through a few nuances of singleness. And I want to come at this from a couple of different angles. And here's the first one. I want to try to show that singleness has unique blessings from the Lord. And I think this is very important for you to get, especially if you're a single person in the room, this is very important for you to hear from the Lord today, that singleness has unique blessings from the Lord. You know, if you start in Genesis 1 and you start reading the Bible forward, it, it, you know, it is not hard to see the emphasis that the Bible puts on marriage and procreation. So you just start reading and you get to Genesis 1 and you get to verse 28 and it's going to say, the Lord blessed them and told them, be fruitful and multiply. That means get married and have babies. Be, be fruitful and multiply. Get married and... and and have children. You keep reading in Genesis chapter two, verse 18, um, the Lord says, it's not good for man to be alone. So therefore I'm gonna create a, a helper that's suitable for you, that will, will, will help you. And so you have the institution of marriage that gets formed in that moment. You keep reading to Genesis chapter 12 and God comes to Abraham and makes a promise to Abraham. And at the core of the promise that God is making to Abraham is this, I am going to make you a barren man into a man with many descendants, into a great nation, Abraham. Your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. So at the center of that promise that God makes to Abraham and therefore the people of Israel, it is, it's about procreation, marriage and procreation. It's that emphasis. It's, marriage and procreation are crucial to the promise that God has made to the people of Israel. 
But it's not marriage and procreation, not just central and crucial for that. In the Old Testament, you're gonna see that it's also crucial to a person keeping their family name alive. It is very important for the purposes of inheritance in the Old Testament, how they're gonna divide land and all these things that a family keep their name. And so, you know, they had a whole elaborate system in the Old Testament about how to keep the family name going. So it's called leveret marriage. And if you're familiar with that in the Old Testament, here's the basic, uh, you know, way that it plays out. If a man who is married dies, the deceased man's brother would take the widow as his wife produce offspring, and the firstborn son would then take the name of of the deceased dad. That was all for the purpose of keeping that family name alive so that inheritance, land, all that could be divided appropriately. But you can see how important in the Old Testament marriage and procreation are. Now with that backdrop, we get to Isaiah 56 and we read this. That backdrop makes Isaiah 56 shine with incredible brightness. Here's how it goes in Isaiah 56. This will be on the screen for you. Verses four and five. The Lord, for thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better, not just equal to, but better than sons and daughters. And I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Now hear what Isaiah is saying. He's saying, if you're single, he's talking about eunuchs. Eunuchs are people who cannot have kids. They're not married. That procreation is not happening. Families are not happening. None of that is in the the picture for a eunuch. He's looking at single people and he's saying to single people, Isaiah, God through Isaiah is is pronouncing this future reality for single people in Christ. He's saying that that when when I settle all accounts in, in the second coming, in the age to come, here is what you can expect if you're a single person. I, in that moment, will give you blessings that will be better than marriage, that will be better than children, that will be better than you having a family. In the age to come, I'm gonna give you blessings that will make all the unique burdens of singleness seem light and momentary. Now, let's just take a moment to apply this. If you're single in the room, I cannot think of something you need to keep in front of you more than that promise in Isaiah 56. I cannot think of a promise you need to hear more often from God than this one and the unique burdens of singleness that you would hear the Lord saying to you when all accounts are settled, there's gonna be a day coming for you where I will more than make up for every loss you have incurred in your singleness. I will more than make up. I'm not just gonna meet you and like square the accounts. I'm actually gonna do better than that. I'm gonna give you something in the future that will be better than a marriage that will be better than sons and daughters, that will be better than a family. I'm gonna give you something better than that, better than the name sons and daughters. Man, I am just praying that the Lord would convince you of that. If you're single in the room right now, in all of its difficulties, that you would hear the Lord right now and the Lord would be convincing you of this, there will be a day coming when I will give you something so much better than marriage and family and kids that it will make the unique burdens of singleness seem light and momentary. It's gonna be that good. That's the unique blessings of singleness. 
Now, at the same time, the reason we need to know that, if, and if you're single, you need to know that singleness has unique blessings, is because singleness also has unique burdens. Now, if you're married in the room, you need to pay careful attention to this, especially if you are married early. If you were married early, there is a great chance that you lack the understanding and empathy of the difficulty of singleness. I think you should just assume that I don't have the empathy yet for that. I don't have the understanding that I have not put myself in the shoes of a single person and felt what they feel. And I wanna invite you to do that for a moment. Now, as we talk about the unique burdens of singleness, let's just all realize there is a vast array of singleness out there. Being 22 and single is much different than being 30 and single, is much different than being 40 and divorced and single, is much different than being 70 and widowed and single. All of those carry unique burdens along with them. All of those feel differently. The struggle is gonna be different in them. So, so there's a lot to empathize with in all of those different areas of singleness. But let me just give you a few. I, I texted and, and messaged some of our singles in our church family, some young, some old, trying to, to hear from them on what are some of the unique burdens they feel in their singleness. And I wanna just share some of what I learned this week from them. Here were some of the things that I, they responded back with. Um, I, a dominant one is loneliness. This is how one of our young singles answered this. She said, a unique burden of singleness is not being able to share life with a partner. And that's a real burden. That is a unique burden. That's a hard burden. I mean, if you're married, just imagine the moment where it's 7.30, you just finished eating at a restaurant and you leave the restaurant and you go home and you go home with someone. Now put yourself in the shoes of a 50 year old single person who just ate in that restaurant with you. They get in their car and they go home, but it's not with someone. Can we all just recognize and feel for a second? That's hard. That is uniquely hard. That poses unique temptation. That, that has embedded into it real difficulty for a human being. So there's loneliness. Another one mentioned decision-making. This is another kind of common theme, decision-making. Several of our um, single ladies mentioned this difficulty and, and here's how one of them described it. And I would especially empathize this with, with young ladies. I have to completely think for myself, take care of myself and follow the Lord's leading all for myself. Instead of being able to share the load with someone else, I have all the responsibility. That's a real difficulty. Another one talked about not fitting in. You know, the older you get in your singleness, the more you live and operate in a married world. And that is hard. But one of our older singles said this about it. He said, one burden is trying to fit in with couples or thinking I need to be married or dating to be normal. Because I'm single, I'm often exempted from some opportunities. That's a unique burden, isn't it? to know that the older you get in your singleness, the more and more you're living in a world that says what is normal is marriage. That, 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 that's really hard, that's difficult. Um, one of our singles I think expressed what I think many singles feel in just the culture we live in at large, and in particular, and listen to this, and in particular in a church culture, when they said this, I, and I think when she said this, she was just summarizing how many singles feel. I just oftentimes feel forgotten. Church family, hear this. Would it not be a shame for someone in our church to say they just kind of feel forgotten? 
That would be a shame, wouldn't it? So not fitting in. Another unique burden of singleness is sexual sin and just how to express your sexuality. Uh, Now, just to be clear, sexual temptation exists inside marriage just like it does outside of marriage. But at the same time, I think there is a unique burden that singles have, especially as they have an extended season of singleness. It's a unique burden not to have an appropriate and God-honoring place to express your sexuality. That is hard. That's a unique burden that comes along with singleness. One that Paul addresses several times in 1 Corinthians 7. And another one, and we could talk for days about this, but here's another one. One of them mentioned just what it looks like to wait for the the marriage that you would hope that the Lord would give you at some point in your life. For those desiring to be married, waiting is a real difficult struggle. One of our young single ladies said it like this. If a single person has the desire for marriage and children, waiting for God can seem hopeless. She goes on to say, I watch my friends go through different seasons, getting married, getting their first house, having kids, etc. Yet I am in the same season of, you know, same season of singleness. That is hard. That's uniquely hard. Now, if you're married in the room, I want to plead with you, put yourself in the shoes of single people for a second. Allow yourself to feel and empathize with the unique burdens that come along with singleness. See, you're probably not going to minister to singles in the way that God would want you to minister to singles until you have put yourself in the shoes and begun to feel what it feels like to be a single person. So I want to just invite you into that, for the Lord to grow you in the sort of empathy that you and I need to do that well. So singleness has unique blessings. It has a unique, you know, unique burdens embedded into it. And thirdly, and I want to spend some time unpacking this one. Singleness also has a unique calling. Embedded into singleness is a unique calling from the Lord. Not just unique blessings and burdens, but a unique calling. Now to introduce this idea of the calling that that I think is on a single, let me start from Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians 5, Paul clarifies the point of marriage in Ephesians 5.32. And to summarize, this is what he says about the point of marriage. The point of marriage is that marriage isn't the point. The point of marriage is that if you're married right now, if you've got like a spouse here, if if you're married, the point of marriage is that your marriage is meant to function like a signpost. Your marriage is meant to be a sign that would point people to the future marriage with Jesus. It's meant to be a sign that would point people to the good news of Jesus. That is why God designed marriage. If you are married, it is vital that you know the point of your marriage. The point of your marriage is for it to function like a signpost. And inside of marriage, God has given you a unique gift to be that signpost. To to have a marriage that would point people onto Jesus. Marriage has a unique way of showing certain things about God that if you were single, it would be harder to show about God. Now, in the same way, singleness, the point of singleness is that singleness is not the point. Singleness, like marriage, is a signpost to point us onto Jesus. And like marriage, singleness has a unique opportunity. Embedded within singleness is a unique calling and a unique opportunity to show those things about God that singleness shows with brighter clarity than than marriage ever could. 
See, maybe we could say it this way. The point of the Bible is not like, go get married or go stay single. That's not the overriding emphasis of the scriptures. The overriding point of the Bible is receive from the Lord whatever gift you have, if it's marriage or if it's singleness, and use whatever gift the Lord has given you to show what that gift is uniquely designed to show about God. If you're married in the room, it is sin to operate in your marriage in such a way where you're lying about God. The reason that God has given you a marriage is so that you would tell the truth about God in the way that you would pursue your spouse, in the way that you would love and cherish them. That's the reason God has given you marriage. And if you're married, married, do that. Show the unique things about God that marriage would show that you will have a hard time showing if you were single. Now the opposite of that is also true. If you're single in the room, that the burden of the Bible is to say, receive that gift from the Lord and show those things about God that singleness is uniquely designed to show that if you were married, you would have a much harder time showing. Show those things about God. Live in such a way where you're highlighting those things about God, telling the truth about God in those sorts of ways. Now, I wanna give you three things that singleness has a unique ability to show about God that marriage could not and, and that's sort of a bright way, clear way show about God. Let me give you these three really briefly here. One thing that, that singleness shows that marriage does not as clearly show. Singleness shows the temporary nature of earthly marriage, or you could say families, the temporary nature of earthly marriage and the eternal nature of our heavenly marriage. Singleness is uniquely designed to show and highlight that. It's uniquely designed to show marriage is temporary, Our marriage with Jesus is eternal. It's uniquely designed to show that. Okay, now in the Bible, the Bible talks about family or marriage, those sort of things in two ways. Here are the two ways. You have a a family or a marriage, that sort of thing, a family by birth. So family by birth is talking about like your physical kind of a family, like your family that you were born into, you were adopted into, or you married into. Okay, that's family by birth. That's one of the ways the Bible talks about family. The second way the Bible talks about family is your, your family by rebirth. This is your family that, is, that consists of those who have put their faith in Jesus. God has ripped out of them their dead heart, put in them a, a new heart. They've responded to faith in Jesus. God has saved them through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He's adopted them as sons and daughters. And that now makes all of his adopted sons and daughters brothers and sisters of one another. That's your family by rebirth. Now, the Bible works extremely hard to show us that the emphasis in our lives should be on our our family by rebirth, not our family by birth. Now, I want you to hear that again. The Bible works extremely hard to convince us that the emphasis of our life should be on our family by rebirth, not our family by birth. Let me give you a couple illustrations of this. And we could talk a lot about this for a long time. Let me give you two texts. First example is Mark 12, 24 and 25. This will probably blow some of your minds because many of us have a wrong view of how marriage actually works in the end. Mark 12, verses 24 through 25. Jesus said to them, this will be on the screen for you. Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He is saying that marriage is a temporary blessing for this present time. 
But in the age to come, when Jesus comes back, you die, one or the other. In the age to come, your physical marriage, if you're married to a person right now, your physical marriage is going to fade into the background and disappear as your marriage with Jesus, if you're in Christ, begins to shine. Your physical marriage, temporary blessing. What's gonna happen for all eternity is that marriage disappears and the marriage that you have always been created for, that your marriage now is just a signpost of, that begins to shine in your life. And listen, it's not like you're gonna be lamenting in that day. It's not like you're gonna think in that day, oh my God, I wanna be married to my spouse. Where'd they? It's, you're not gonna have that moment. Here's what you're gonna have in that moment. This is the one I have always been created for. Here it is. It's a temporary blessing, but, but there's a day coming when your marriage is about to disappear. The marriage with Jesus is gonna shine. Here's another text for you. Mark, uh, or Matthew, Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50 says this. While Jesus was still speaking to the people, this should be on the screen for you as well. Behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? He's got his mom saying, Jesus, get out here. He's got his brothers outside saying, stop teaching, get out here, we need to talk to you. He says, who is my mother and my brother? And listen to how Jesus answers his own question. And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, Jesus said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now hear what Jesus is saying in this moment. He is saying that man, wife, children, families, just like marriage, man, wife, children, families are a blessing for this present age. But in the age to come, they will fade away and disappear. And our family of God as father, other Christians as brothers and sisters, that will begin to shine. But there is a day coming when, when what we know is our temporal families here, our families by birth here, that all fades into the distance, it goes away, and our family with Jesus, our family with God as Father, our family with, with other brothers and sisters in, in Christ, that begins to shine. Do you see what the Bible is trying to convince you of? That what you're going to be concerned about in regards to family in a million years from now is not your family by birth, but your family by rebirth. The Bible's trying to open up heaven and, and show us that's what you're gonna be concerned about in a billion years from now. That's gonna be the emphasis. So that now we would start living with that emphasis. So that now we could start preparing for that emphasis in the way that we would live beside a church family now. See, that's the point the Bible is trying to make. It's trying to de-emphasize our family by birth and show us the family that's gonna be ultimately important in the end, our family by rebirth. Now, let's just apply this for a moment. And I want to first apply this to married folk in the room. Most, most families, so, so couples, here, here is how they deal with, with life. They look at life and they say, let's circle the, the wagons around our little family by birth. So I've got a wife, I've got a husband, we've got some kids, we've got maybe an aunt and uncle, we've got people around our, we're going to pull those people in, we're going to circle the, you know, the wagons around them, and everybody else can just kind of go figure out their life. This is how most people live their, their life. And listen to me, that is anti-biblical. If you operate in your family like this, let's draw the, the, the lines around our family. If you're in our family, great. If you're not, good luck with your, that is anti-biblical. That is not the way heaven's gonna be. Therefore, it should not, it's not the way it should be now. 
And so there is, there is an emphasis the Bible is trying to help you walk into of saying, what does it look like not to circle, like draw the line around your family and it's like, you know, us and no more, but to open up the lines from your family and to invite people into it. To say, yeah, this, this is a family. This is, a, this is an important thing to us. But at the same time, you are welcome to come in and enjoy this with us. See, that is the emphasis that we should have as, as a family now. Now, let me apply this to singles in the room. If you are single in the room, you have a unique calling on your life to show the world this truth. Family by rebirth is what's ultimately important, not family by birth. You've got a unique opportunity, a unique gift from God to show that, to remind us of that. You've got a unique opportunity by God to, to give us the reminder that we need, that in the end, it's not our family by birth that's gonna matter, it's our family by rebirth that's gonna matter. You are, when you, when you work in your singleness appropriately and rightly with devotion to the Lord, you are in doing that, reminding us of that, showing us what we so desperately need to be reminded of. When you serve in the church, when you lean your life into a church family, you are showing us what ultimately matters is family by rebirth, not family by birth. When you lay your life down for a church family, when you get in and serve in ministries, when you give your life away to a church family, you are reminding us of that in a way that is unique to singleness that a married person would have a harder time doing. It's a unique call, a unique opportunity that God has given you as a single person to remind us of that, to show that reality. Here's the second thing that singleness shows. Singleness has a way of showing that the family of God grows by rebirth not by birth. The family of God grows by rebirth, not by birth. Let me say it this way. The most important child rearing a person can do is not physical procreation, but spiritual procreation. That is the most important child rearing you can do. Not your physical thing, like with your kids, but with your, like, Having a spiritual family is the most important thing you can do. And here's the reason. That is the only way the family of God grows. A family, the family of God does not grow just because people that are Christians have babies. The family of God grows when people put their faith in Jesus, right? This, this is what Jesus says. This is what Paul says. Here's how Jesus says it in, in John 3, 3. Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, you can be born and not be in the family of God. It actually takes you being reborn and putting your faith in Jesus that you're in the family of God. Paul says it this way in Galatians 3, verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. That if you want to be in the line of Abraham and in the family of Abraham and the family of God, it's not just because you're going to be born in the family of Abraham. You've got to be reborn in the family of Abraham by putting your faith in Jesus. That is the only way you're going to be in the family of God. Okay, now that is massively important. I mean, the Bible, maybe we could think of it this way. Here's what the, the Bible is leading us toward in this moment. It's trying to help us see that you can have a growing, thriving family by birth, but if you do not have a growing and thriving spiritual family, in the end, you lose. In the end, that's a loss. In a billion years from now, what will mean the most is that we have a growing and thriving spiritual family, not a growing and thriving physical family. 
That's what the Bible is leading us toward. Now listen to how Paul talks about this in the New Testament. And I hope this is encouragement to our singles in the room, really all of us in the room. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 14 says this. This should be on the screen for you. I do, listen to what Paul says. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as beloved children. He calls the Corinthian church children. He, he's, Paul's never had kids and he's looking at a church and saying, man, you are my offspring. I mean, you, you're my sons and daughters in this thing. And look at what he goes on to say. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. Paul, a single man, never been married, never had kids, is looking at a church and saying, they're my kids. And he's looking at the church and saying, man, in a very real way, I'm a father to them. And the Bible holds that up and says, imitate that. Then do that. If you're single in the room, get about the work of that. If you're married in the room, get about the work of that. Paul is saying, imitate that. In a thousand years from now, you don't just want to say, I had a few sons and daughters that were physical kind of descendants of mine. You want to be able to say, I had a whole lot of sons and daughters that were spiritual descendants of mine. That's what we all want to be able to say in a thousand years from now. And if you're single in the room, you have a unique gift in your singleness to remind us that that is true. You are a living, breathing illustration when you operate in your singleness correctly and rightly with devotion to the Lord and his church and his mission. You have a unique opportunity to remind the wider church family of what is harder for a married person to remind people of. And that is the family of God grows by rebirth, not by birth. Last one, singleness Singleness has a unique way of showing that faithfulness to Jesus defines the value of life. Not a relationship or the lack thereof. When you're single, precisely because you're single, you have a unique ability to show what defines our life and what doesn't. In a culture where I think one of the most acceptable sins is family idolatry. Here's our family, let's circle the wagons. Here's the in, here's the out. If you're out, sorry, good luck with your life. Family idolatry, it's looking at your family and trying to derive your deepest sense of value, of worth, of significance, of meaning from your family. That's family idolatry. It's the most, probably the most acceptable sin in, in our culture. And precisely because you are single, if that's you in the room, you have a unique ability to remind us Family doesn't define you. Marriage doesn't define you. A lack of marriage doesn't define you. What defines us is our openness to Jesus or our closedness to Jesus. What defines us is are we in Christ or are we outside of Christ? That, that's what defines us. It's not a marriage doesn't define us, a relationship doesn't define us. What ultimately defines us is Jesus. That's what defines us. And if you're single, you are a living, breathing illustration. When you operate in your singleness with devotion to Jesus, you are a living and breathing illustration of Philippians 1.21. That to live is Christ and to die is gain. But really to live, it's really Christ. That's what defines us as a Christian. That's what gives us the deepest sense of meaning and purpose and hope and value and significance. It's Jesus you have a unique opportunity to show that as a single. This is the unique calling. You can show things about God that if you were married would be much harder to show about God. And I'm just praying that God would give you a burden and a want and a desire for that.
I want to end by giving some practical thoughts on singleness. Thinking practically about singleness and then we'll be done. First of all, I want to start to the married. And I want to encourage you again in a very straightforward way. Here is what obedience to 1 Corinthians 7 and therefore the Bible. Here's what I think next steps you need to think through should look like. What does it look like for me to open up my life to singles, not just marrieds? If we are ever going to create a culture that values, celebrates, and cares for singles, it's not going to be because I preached a sermon on it. It's going to be because married people inside of our church family open up the lines of their marriage and their family and invite single people in. If you've got a spare bedroom, why wouldn't you? I mean, seriously, why wouldn't you do that if you've got a spare bedroom? If you've got the capacity to do that, why wouldn't you? I, I wanna read you what one single um, messaged me back with last night. I read this last night from one of our singles. I want you to hear this. Here's what he said. There is one situation that occurs where I am acutely aware of my singleness. Many Sundays I go to service with hundreds of people only to eat lunch by myself. I'm very proactive in seeking out other people. Unfortunately, many of them already have plans with their immediate or extended families. As my family is not local, it would be a special blessing to me for families to invite me over for Sunday lunch. Man, I read that last night. I mean, it's like the Lord just pierced my heart in that moment of just knowing that like, that is, that is so easy to remedy that. But here's what it takes to remedy that. It takes married people who everything in you wants to close your life around your little family to open up your family and allow single people inside of your life to actually be proactive in the way that you would think about, you know, involving your life with single people. To think about that. Singles that are 22, 42, 52, 70, the whole range. To think about how would you open up your life to them? Man, what a blessing from the Lord that would be. And listen, if we're ever going to be the sort of church that values and honors singles like the Lord would want us to, it's going to require that from every one of us to open up our life to singles in that sort of a way. Married people, think about that. Ask yourself, what would next steps of obedience look like in that? To the singles in our church family. I wanna start by encouraging you to do the same thing to open up your life, not just to other singles, but to married people. Can we all acknowledge for married people to relate to single people, it's hard. For single people to relate to married people, it's hard because we're in two different stages of how things work in our life. So it's hard. Without an intentional opening ourselves up to that, here's what will happen. Nothing. Nothing will happen. So it's gonna take proactivity if you're married and if you're single. And if you're single, I wanna encourage you to be extraordinarily proactive in that. Wouldn't that be an extra mark of maturity in your life to do that? Of, of like wisdom from the Lord operating in your life to keep your life open to, to married people and not just single people? Okay, th three encouragements to singles. First, I wanna encourage you right now, and I'm just praying that the Lord would help in this, to maximize your singleness for the glory of God. To maximize it. 
I think there are two main things that will rob you of maximizing your singleness. One is self-pity and the other is selfishness. And they're like brother and sister issues. But I think they have the, 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 the most opportunity to absolutely wreck your singleness. So I'm gonna ask you to war against those things. When it comes to self-pity, remind yourself that, that Paul is not pitying himself in this moment. Paul is holding up singleness and saying, this is uniquely good. This is extraordinary. It's not inferior. It's not like less than married life. This is a great thing. Remind yourself of Isaiah 56, that the Lord is saying, if you're single, I'm going to give you unique blessings that will make up for every burden you have carried in your singleness. I'm gonna do that for you. So preach those things to yourself. Fight against selfishness. It will ruin your singleness if you kind of devolve into that. And listen, there is a real tendency for that. You start to develop patterns that have nothing but you in the middle of them. It can be a really hard thing. So keep your life open to people. Think about other people often. And you know, there's a lot of debate. And I wanna kind of focus on one word in 1 Corinthians 7 for a moment. Paul talks about singleness being a gift. Now there, there's a lot of debate on what Paul means there. And let me just kind of walk through the debate. The debate goes like this. Paul might mean, in, in saying that, single, that kind of the gift, using that word associated with singleness, he might mean that, that, that the Lord uniquely equips some people to deal with the burdens of singleness. He might mean that. Or he might mean on this side, that when the Lord gives a person marriage, that's a unique gift. And when the Lord gives someone singleness, that is a unique gift from the Lord. I think that's what Paul means. I think he is calling singleness, the fact that you are single, a gift. He's looking at singleness and trying to remind us, this is a gift from God to you. This is not a less than. This is a precious gift that God has given you. And I think in saying that, he's saying, now use that gift. Show the things about God that you can show in your singleness. Maximize the glory of God in your singleness. Paul goes on to say that here's the great thing about singleness. You can have undivided devotion to the Lord. You don't have to think about a wife or a husband or kids or all the things that come around marriage. You can just think about Jesus and the cause of Jesus and the mission of Jesus. So get about that work. Do that. Serve your church. Lean your life into your church. Pursue your church family. Get your life intertwined with your church family. It is no stretch to say that in six years of Stonegate Church, if we did not have singles maximizing their singleness for the glory of God, we would not be where we are today. I'm oftentimes reminded of Lydia was an instrumental part of planting the church in Philippi as a single lady. And we would be dead already without single men and women maximizing their singleness for the glory of God. And if you're single, man, I wanna encourage you toward that. Maximize it. Man, do everything you can to use it and steward it for the glory of God. Here's the second thing. Is pay attention to your motives in singleness or in, in your desire for marriage. Pay attention to your motives. When it comes to, to marriage and singleness, you know, singles are going to typically kind of fall in two broad categories. There are going to be some singles who are pleading with the Lord for a marriage. There are going to be some singles who are pushing marriage away. Okay, there's going to be those two categories. Okay, let me deal with both of those really briefly here. For those who are pleading with the Lord for marriage, first of all, I want to affirm that is a good, holy desire. That desire is to be affirmed. We want to pray with you that God would give you the gift of marriage if you're desiring that. So I want to affirm that desire. Now, here's the second thing you need to know on that though. That desire that is good, right, and holy for marriage can quickly and very easily become an over-desire. Now, the question is, what drives that over-desire for marriage? 
You know, when I think of the last 30 years, one moment in Western, kind of our Western culture that has wrecked more things than any other in terms of marriage, it might be the moment when Tom Cruise in the movie Jerry Maguire looks into the eyes of this lady and says, y'all know the line, you complete me. I think that is at the heart of that over-desire is we begin to look at marriage and think, if I could just get marriage, that person, this person, then I would finally be okay. Here's the thing, hear me on this. God has not preloaded marriage with the capacity to do that. It can never fulfill you. It will never do that for you. Now hear me, if you're single and this is you and you're struggling with this, you need to get about the work of killing that over-desire right now because here's the thing. That over-desire will not only wreck your singleness, if God happens to give you a marriage, it will wreck your marriage too. It lies at the root of wrecking both of those two things. So you ought to get about the work of killing that right now, that over-desire. Now on the other side, there are some who push marriage away. Let me start by recognizing, there are rightful reasons not to pursue marriage and to remain single. There are rightful reasons and seasons for that that are good, holy, all of those things. But that can oftentimes slip into an under-desire for marriage that should not be there. Now what lies under that pushing away under-desire that is not a holy sort of, I'm keeping marriage at bay moment? I think it is the worship of independence. It is a 30-year-old wanting to be 13. It, it's, a, it's a boy not willing to grow up into a man. And listen, that, there are many reasons why it's okay to stay single and to say no to marriage. Independence just isn't one of them. Wanting to act like you're 13 when you're 35 just isn't one of them. If that's you in the room, you need to grow up. That's what needs to happen. You need to repent of, of boyhood and you need to grow up into manhood. You need to make that transition, not like in five weeks from now, like right now. It's time to get about the work of that. I so empathize with one of our single ladies who said this. She said, I think it's frustrating that I have been better pursued by non-believers than believers. As a Christian woman, there's so much I can do to pursue marriage. And then I'm gonna paraphrase her last statement here. She said, waiting for boys to grow up can be disheartening and I have to fight wanting to give up. That's a travesty that a lady would have to wait for a, a guy who's 30 to act like he's 30 or a guy who's 25 to act like he's 25. That's a travesty. So some of us just need to grow up and live the age we are and to allow God to begin to grow us in that sort of a way. Last word to singleness is make marriage decisions in community. If you desire to be married, you need to make those decisions in community. You need to know what sort of a person you're looking for. Summarize in the Bible, it's a person who loves Jesus. Not Christian by name, not kind of carries the Bible with them to make them look good sometimes, but who loves Jesus. Who will, who will lead out in that, who, who is doing that. That's who you wanna marry. If you compromise on that, you are compromising with the rest of your life. D don't, don't do that. If you're an older single, you need to know what the Bible says about divorce and remarriage because there is a decent chance as you're getting to know another person that you may need to actually encourage them to go reconcile with the former spouse. So you need to know, think, you need to nail down divorce and remarriage. And you need to do all of that in community because here's the thing about romantic love. It's got a great dynamic to it and it's got a really dangerous dynamic to it. It makes you blind to things. 
Some things it makes you blind to are wonderful. They're things you need to overlook in a person. Some things it makes you blind to are really dangerous because they're things you actually need to see in that person. And you need to have the eyes of other people who love you and care for you to speak into that. Okay, I'm done with this now. This is married folk and single folk all together here. This is the conclusion. If you're married in the room, here is what I hope the Lord will remind you of today. Your marriage is not gonna last forever. It's just not. If you're single in the room today, here's what I hope the Lord is reminding you of. No one in Christ is single forever. And if we're married or if we're single, here is the number one issue in our life. We need to be about the work of preparing for the marriage that's coming. Here's how Revelation 19, seven says it. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come. And I'm praying this to be true for us. And his bride has made herself ready. Amen. Let's pray together. I'm gonna give you just a moment to allow the spirit to press into you the things that need to be pressed into you today. And this is the moment in our service where we have the opportunity to respond to God. And for some of us in the room, today has reminded us that you don't, you don't enter the family of God by being born among and around other Christian people. You enter the family of God when you respond in faith to Jesus by throwing all your life upon him, by pushing all of your chips in on Jesus and looking up to him and saying, I'm yours. I'm trusting in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to make me right with you. And for the rest of my life, I am giving all of me to all I know of you. And when you say that, when your heart communicates that to God, that, that's what becoming a Christian is and looks like. And some of us need to respond in that sort of a way right now to the Lord. For others in the room, I just can't help but think that there is not great room for repentance this morning. How we operate in our marriage, in our families, a lack of openness to singles. Maybe if you're single, it's that over-desire of marriage or that under-desire of marriage that needs to be repented of. But this is our time to, to do business with the Lord. So Father, I'm praying that right now you would show us areas of our life where repentance is needed, where obedience is needed in our life. And God, give us the courage to walk down that road with you. Give us the courage right now to do that. Father, we love you. And I pray that when you come back, you would find this little church, this little part of your bride ready. You would find us ready. It's in your good name we ask that. Amen. Why don't you stand with us as we sing? Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.